Yate, my relatives. Hello, this is Mark Charles. It is a Sunday evening, February 26th. I'm sitting here with my very good friend, Leroy Barber, who uh, is in D.C. this weekend, and uh, he preached at Christ City Church this morning, and he and I have had some chance to hang out this afternoon. So it's been great to see Leroy, and he's going to be my guest for my very special second cup of coffee, the evening edition. And uh, this is actually my second cup of coffee. I only had one cup this morning, and this is a cup of, de a cup of decaf because uh, <laughs> I'll have to go to bed soon. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm excited that Leroy can be here. But before we begin, I want to just do as I always do, which is acknowledge that I'm speaking to you from what's now called Washington, D.C., but these are the traditional lands of the Piscataway. And I want to honor the Piscataway as the host people of the lands where I'm living. I want to thank the Piscataway for their stewardship of these lands. And I want to just state once again how humbled I am to be living on these lands today. So um, thank you all for joining me. I want to see who's on here. Uh, looks like Tracy. Hey, thank you, Tracy, for joining. It's good to have you here. We have a few other people coming on. Um, I think we're going to get a little bit of a different audience this time because I normally stream uh, in the mornings and now it's the afternoon and uh, or the evening rather on the weekend. And so we might get a few more people who aren't able to join us during the day. Jordan, thank you, Jordan. Thanks for coming. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, thanks for being a part of this today. But um, yeah, so let me introduce you a little bit. This is my friend. If you have not met Leroy before, Leroy is an incredible friend and an amazing advocate and leader and um, just tireless worker for people of color and uh, elevating the voices of people of color in the church, outside the church, working in communities all around the country. And when I when I met Leroy years ago, he um, had just moved, was living in Atlanta and was moving into Portland. And uh, he's been working with the Methodist Church there in Portland for a number of years. And now, just uh, in this past year, he's now the executive director of an organization called Neighborhood Economics, which is about investing money into marginalized communities and neighborhoods around the country. So I want to let Leroy tell you a little bit more about his work, um, and uh, we'll have a lot of things we can discuss today. There's a lot of things that, as as I said before, Leroy and I are great friends. We have a lot of uh, history together, <laughs> and it's been fun to know him for such a long time, and so we'll have a lot of things that will come up during this discussion. But Leroy, I just want to thank you for being here. I want to welcome you to be here. Thanks and, for having me. Yeah, let 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 us know a little bit about neighborhood economics. What's your work there, and what are you doing with this organization? Yeah, so the 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 mission, if you will, of neighborhood economics is um, getting money and resource to people and communities that historically have not gotten it. Right, right. and I mean it's just that's the bottom line, and so. Uh, looking at local economies, local communities, uh, local neighborhoods, and looking at uh, like how those neighborhoods work, how who owns stores, who owns businesses, how do how do those businesses get invested in um, things like you know looking at who owns homes and houses and uh, yeah so so we 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 kind of had this bottom line of putting resource so that people have agency in creating their own economies within 
okay. where they live. So it, yeah, and it's it's interesting work. It's, it's, it's fun work for me so far. So. Yeah, I know you've already been traveling quite a bit. Um, how how are you as the director of neighborhood economics? using your network or even enhancing the network of the organization already? Like what are, mm. what are you excited about of some of the things that are coming up for your organization? Well, so the financial world is like, you know, this high level kind of, most people don't understand what's going on in it with banking and, you know, different kinds of funds and yeah. investments. And so my, my work with that is to break that down and make that, uh, understandable and approachable for folks who don't have financial backgrounds. And okay. so I bring, obviously I've worked in community development for a long time, worked with a number of neighborhoods and people. And so connecting those dots for the organization. Yeah. Yeah. What are you excited about? What, what are, what's your organization working on right now that you're excited about to see happen in the next year or two? So we're, we're doing an event in at the end of April in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, our founders are from there, but you know Jackson is this place, man. That is, it's eighty five percent black, and yeah. it's in the poorest state in our country. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the resources are very minimal. And so, what would it look like for us to kind of start in Jackson, right, and talk about getting funds and money and resource to this city? Uh, I feel like if we can make it work in Jackson, then we yeah. probably can do it anywhere, right? So, okay. Well, thank you for, for letting us know a little about that. Now, for those of you who um, who have met Leroy before or have followed me a little bit, I've known Leroy for about I want to say about fifteen, ten, yeah. fifteen years. Yeah, about fifteen. And I would say in those ten or fifteen years, Leroy has had four or five different date, what I will call his day job. <laughs> and so Leroy's day job is always around something with the church and always around something around justice and always around something to expand his, his work and his platform and the things that he's really interested in. But you can't be in a conversation long with Leroy until he's going to start talking about what is called the voices project. Mm-hmm. And the Voices Project is an organization that he and his wife started. I don't even know how many years ago. And the purpose of the Voices Project is to elevate and to lift up the voices of people of color. Mm -hmm. You do it through speaking. You do it through conferences. You do it through training. You're now mm -hmm. doing it through publishing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, yeah, it, the longer you get to know Leroy, his day job may change. <laughs> but his work with voices is going to remain fairly consistent. And I, I, I witness a lot of joy in Leroy's life through the work that he does with mm -hmm. the voices project. Mm -hmm. So I know that uh, over the past uh, couple of years, you've been really pushing hard to work with publishing. Yeah. So there's some stats, right? So uh, voices, you know, yeah, we try to lift up and promote leaders of color. But there are stats around, especially around writing and publishing, right? About 85% of all published books are white authors. Wow. Right. And that, that number is staggering. And so if we want to affect culture and we want, want to lift up folks 
we have to get more more writers of color. Uh, and so that's why we started it. Uh, and then it's a way for some somebody who a publishing company goes, uh, you don't sell that many books or yeah. or the 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 content what you have, right? There's all kinds of stuff that goes through it. But we we've decided to do it. One, we need more writers. Two, there's a different voice that people of color have that needs to get out in the mainstream. Yeah. Right. And that voice is really important for people to understand and know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What What are some of the books that have you you've published through the Voices Project so far? Uh, we published um, a book. Uh, our first book was uh, Only Love Austin, and she did a book called Prophetic Whirlwind, looking at kind of the history of um, Black Hebrew Israelites, which, which was a pretty interesting book. Yeah. Uh, and then we've done a book of publishing called Daydreaming in Spanglish. Um, which is a poet that we know and got to know. Uh, and we've done, um, we just released uh, Heather Bemis, who's Canadian, did a book called Homecoming. That's another kind of book of of publishing, uh, of poetry. Um, we've also connected, we have a relationship with IVP and some others. So yeah. so we have connected on Jonathan Brooks's book, um, Church Forsaken. We've connected on my wife's uh, devotional um, and uh, bread for the resistance. So we've got about maybe ten, a dozen, about a dozen okay. publications out now. So one of the things I know, both from my own experience as well as from talking with other aspiring authors, is one of the hardest things for an unpublished author to do is to get their manuscript in front of a publisher. Yeah. And to actually get that first meeting, mm-hmm. how does do you envision your publishing piece of voices to kind of bridge that gap for authors of mm-hmm. color mm-hmm. so that if they can't get that first meeting with another publishing right. house, right. they can get it with your right. with, with with the voices project? Well, I mean, we've made the process simple. I mean, literally go online and uh, there's a space to submit your manuscript or your idea, we get those and we call, we, we follow up on all of those. Yeah. Knowing that the voice of people of color is different, right? It's not going to be your standard, um, you know, like a better word, your standard theology or understanding of people or understanding of life or any of those kind of things. Yeah. So we actually look for a difference, right? How is your book different and how is the voice How's your voice, your authentic voice coming through? Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. To, I know because there's a lot of authors that I, 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 people contact me actually a lot and like, mm. how do I get my manuscript in front? And so I've actually pointed a few people your direction, the direction of the Voices Project. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I know that's a very important piece of it. What it's else, huge. what else are you doing through Voices right now that I know you have a conference coming up? We have a conference coming up and we do something called the Voices School where, uh, we are, people can take classes, um, for no cost to study theology, community development, um, and, um, and leadership development. And it's called the Voices School, which is, which is pretty cool. And, Folks can sign up and apply for that. We keep it as tuition free. Um, it's state certified, so you can get 
uh, some credits that you can carry out um, with you if you want to do something else with them. Um, and then a conference in May, uh, which is uh, the uh, 19th of May. And where is that? That's going to be in Kansas City. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about attending that conference with Leroy. And although, and for those of you who don't know, I'm actually going to be getting hip surgery in a few months. I've gotten arthritis in my left hip. I'm not old. <laughs> I'm not Anybody old. Anybody who, say, who, who says that. <laughs> you know. I'm getting the young person's version uh, of hip replacement Oh, got you, got you, got you. Y'all hear that, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> but um, that... That's scheduled for me the first of May, so I'm not positive I'll be able to get to the Voices Conference with you this year. But uh, it's something I've been to in the past, and uh, especially if you're a person of color, um, trying to understand, um, you know, how how to amplify your voice or how to how to um, continue to grow your voice in this in this world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, the Voices mm -hmm. Project is a great place to go and begin to get some input on that. Um, and you always bring in some really good and dynamic speakers, uh -huh. and you have a lot of really good content going yeah, on there. Yeah, and it's we yeah we do a, it's a little bit different flavor of a conference, but uh, more relational, a little more laid back, a lot of yeah. a lot of a lot like relational time for people to connect. So, yeah. yeah cool. So one of the other things I wanted to to bring up today because uh -huh. I know there's there's several times and Leroy and I have been friends for a number of years. And so Mike said, if you have to announce that I'm not old, <laughs> you're right. Who's that? Who's saying that? Hey, Phil, good, good word, bro. You're right. This, this is the comment he's talking about. Uh, my friend, Phil Fox, he said, if, if you have to announce you're not old, you're old. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Phil. That's what I thought. Anyway, but let's we'll move on. Um so there's several times where, you know, Leroy and I have had many conversations. I remember he was one of the first people uh, to, to come from some of my, of my circles I didn't know before we moved there. He came and spent some time with us on the res and he came and he drove out there. And I remember I, I, he got a little lost and we <laughs> met on this back road and we, we welcomed him to the Navajo nation. Um, and he and I, Leroy and I have had a lot of really good conversations over the years. And there's a few points where I'm traveling the country and I'm having a conversation and I'm thinking, oh, this would be a great conversation if Leroy were a part of this. And when I was at Kelvin, I was at Kelvin College, uh, our seminary for the worship symposium, just a few weeks ago. And I was having a conversation with Latasha Morrison. Mm -hmm. And two other young men, I don't remember their names. I mm. think they were from Detroit. And I don't even know why. I felt I, I was sat down and I talked to them. And I had just watched the second Black Panther. Uh -huh. Now, I haven't talked about this on my second cup of coffee yet. But I had a few thoughts about Black Panther. And the, in the first Black Panther, if you remember, it was kind of the, the, the two tribes were kind of at odds with each other. And that was the conflict in that first movie. And in the second Black Panther, they created, introduced an indigenous tribe, if you will, mm -hmm. who the conflict was with in that second movie. Mm -hmm. And so when I sat down with Latasha and, and these other two, two people, I said, does it bother you 
that Hollywood will not let you produce a movie that makes the white man the villain. And you have to have another person of color be the villain in your movie because you can't have a black hero against a white villain. So you have to create another person of color to represent, to represent the villain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, I'm telling you, I was watching the second, the second movie and I was getting very nervous because I was afraid they were going to make that white guy, I forget his name, they were going to make him the hero. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, they better not, I'm going to take you <laughs> off right away if they do that. But I, I'm curious, like, did, did that thought cross your mind? Or what What do you think of that? Because I, it was, I didn't notice it as much in the first movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in the second movie, it might be because it was clear that the, 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 uh, the villain was the indigenous, indigenous tribe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, why are we the villains right, here? Right, you know, right. Why right. we should be more allied? So I'm curious what thoughts you had about that because I know when the movie came out, I mean, it was it was a, it was a big uh-huh, deal. Uh huh. Yeah, I find the question interesting, and I and I think there is probably some resistance because we are talking about Hollywood. We're talking about major amounts of money. We're yeah. talking about you know. Getting it on, you know how this works. Get it on as many screens as possible, right? You might, uh, we could, we could fool ourselves and think, oh, they don't think about the actual script and blah blah yeah. blah when they're when they're doing this. But I, th- I think they do. And so I hadn't thought about about the question, but when I think about the money, and when I think about the resource, and when I think about how much money a film like that makes, yeah, then then yeah, like there's probably pressure not to do that. And yeah, it's who like, it scares people to think about a black Panther hero and a white villain and, and, and people fall in love with the, the black hero. Yeah. Dude, that, that, that's not, that's not your Hollywood. Script. No, no. Yeah. And it's probably scary. Right. Yeah. Even, even if it's not real. Yeah. I, I think I was, Again, when I was watching the movie, I was getting very nervous that they were going to make that white guy the hero. I'm, I'm glad they didn't. Um, and they seemed to leave a little room in the script where the indigenous and the Black Panther community could come together. Uh, uh, uh. And but yeah, I was I was I was quite taken back that the 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 villain in that second movie had to be another group of color mm-hmm, and not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not the white. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and look now and, and and think about that. Yeah, I mean that movie did so many things well, right? The the way it did the public mourning mm-hmm. for Chaz Bozeman, mm-hmm. and you know the I mean there's so many Chad Bozeman. I'm sorry, um, there's so many things it did well. Yeah, I don't want to knock the whole thing, but I I will say I was a bit put off uh-huh. when I'm like, why are we the villain? Why here? are we fighting? Why? Each other, right? yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. There's a common struggle here. And so I was, I was a bit nervous about that. But anyway, oh, I appreciate good. you weighing in. That's on good. That. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing I want to bring up, and for those of you who are watching, um, after we finish this, uh, this second cup of coffee, right here, um, Leroy and I are going to go onto my Patreon site, and on Patreon we're going to uh, do a Q and A there um, for so- members of the the Ask Questions tier of my Patreon. So if you want to join us um, after this uh, second cup of coffee, you can jump over to my Patreon. 
I will put uh, the link for that into into this here in just a moment. But uh, we're going to do a, a more extended Q&A there for about another half an hour after this second cup of coffee is over. But the last thing I wanted to talk to Leroy about um, with all of you, and I, I say this because, like I said before, Leroy and I are good friends, and there's a lot of times I really like his perspective and, and his input on this. And a few years ago, there was a very popular podcast that came out called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it was about Mars Hill, the church started in Seattle, that grew tremendously over a number of years and then literally just crashed and burned. And it left a lot of people stunned mm -hmm. and it, mm -hmm. it, it caused a lot of both um, spiritual and even physical trauma in the people that mm -hmm. were hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, women came out of that very, very hurt. Mm -hmm by the experience and the teachings of that church. Um, and I listened to that, that podcast. And one of the reasons that podcast was so intriguing to me is because the rise and fall of Mars Hill happened in like the early 2000s. And this was the, the time I was on the reservation, mm -hmm. <laughs> completely isolated right. from the rest <laughs> of the world. And so it was almost, it was fascinating. I listened to the whole podcast twice. It, uh -huh. it ran for like a year, I think. It came episodes, I forget how many episodes they had, but it came out very regularly and it ran for like a year, I think, or nine months or something. And I listened to all of the episodes twice because I was so intrigued by it. And and uh, it, it intrigued me for a number of reasons. First of all, it intrigued me because it's like, this is what was going on in the white church while I was on the res, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So I wasn't a part of any of those movements. I wasn't a part uh -huh, of any of those uh -huh, things. And I'd uh -huh. be hearing about them, even with people who I knew, I know mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. were involved with that. I'm like, oh, this is what they were doing. This right, is what was happening. Right, right. And so that was really interesting to me. The second thing that, that I began noticing, not immediately, but the longer I listened, is it was very, very clear that the only paradigm, not only that the church had, but that the people who did the podcast had, mm -hmm. was on white Christian America. Right. 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 I'm like there. I'm like first of all, there's no voices of color in the church or in in the podcast, mm -hmm. and they're critiquing these things and they're saying things. And there was one comment they used. Well, there were several things that they used over and over throughout the podcast. One was they the the I forget the guy who did the podcast anyway, but one of the things he said frequently was um, somehow in the midst of all this, God is good, mm -hmm. right? the gospel was still preached and families were still, all right. And in the midst of all this, God was still good. And he kind of stopped saying that towards the end, as it became very clear how broken and jacked up this thing was. <laughs> but then the second thing he said frequently throughout this is he's like, what would happen is these young leaders mm -hmm. would get these massive platforms mm -hmm before they had the character to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Now he didn't say young white leaders. He said young, but it was very, I, I don't know any person of color who was handed this massive right. platform, right. Right. right? I mean, every person of color I know who's worked either in church and outside church has had to work tremendously hard 
to build mm-hmm, a platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yet here throughout numerous places right. in this podcast, they showed whether it was at Mars Hill or other churches, how these young white male yeah. Christian pastors uh-huh. were given these massive platforms while they still had the maturity of, of a teenager. Right. Right. <laughs> so one of the, yeah, first well, of all, go ahead. And- well, the interesting thing is right. <laughs> that, it went bad. It went horribly, right? And uh, uh, the the stuff they did to people is traumatizing, right? What I find interesting is now we go back, right? And we're going to examine this thing and critique it. But it's like they're examining and critiquing their own thing, right? Instead of going, hey, we're going to get some people of color, right? Or some women, right? To examine and critique this. No, we're going to, we're going to critique and examine ourselves. We were a part of this and now we're going to. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it's almost like you're getting another platform. Yeah. So I, you know, and so I listened to part of it and I was like, yeah, why would I want to listen to you critique yourself over something that went bad instead of somebody else looking in yeah. And really pointing out what was wrong with us. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's just an interesting thing for me. Yeah. So this is a preview. One of the things I'm, I, I'm making my plan for my second cup of coffee for the next year. And one of the things I'm going to do in this next year is I'm going to ask some of my friends of color who are leaders in the church, who have worked in the church for a number of years. And I'm going to ask them to listen to the entire podcast about Mars Hill and to choose one episode that they really have some passion about, something that really struck them, that really kind of mm-hmm, stood out mm-hmm, for them. Mm-hmm. And I want to get like five or six of those and invite those people to join me for a second cup of coffee nice. to talk about that episode. And then at the end of that, after we do all five or six of those of those second cups of coffee, I'm going to get everyone together. And I want to have like a round table mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of voices of color. Nice. Yeah. Again, talking about, to, if we're going to be honest, what was going on in the white church during the early 2000s Well, and kind of yeah. backdrop it with what was going on with that, within the churches of color right. during that same. Right. I was on the res. Like I was, I was living in a Hogan and like my, my character was absolutely being mm-hmm, shaped mm-hmm, without mm-hmm. any sort of massive platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. anyway, <laughs> that's good. just, that's just a tease of what I'm stuff to come <laughs> working on for this next year. But uh, let me see who's anyone else on here commenting or thinking thoughts going on. Um, Tracy, thank you for joining Tommy. Thank you for being here. Lindsay, appreciate you being here. Freedom, Diana Barnes. Thank you for being here. Uh, Mr. Phil Fox, it's always good to have you on here. I'm so grateful to everyone uh, to be here. Leroy, I want to give you just a few minutes. Anything that you want to share, any questions you want to ask me, Any that I want to give you a few minutes to just share some of your own thoughts here for a moment or even <coughs> ask some of your own questions if you'd like to do that. Well, I, I don't have a lot of questions. My mind right now is in this area of, because of, of what I'm, uh, this neighborhood economics thing is, uh, looking and seeing the amounts of money, the massive amounts of money that are 
that that are in this like in this world in this country um I, I, I'm gonna tell this one. This okay. One. So in New York, there's a church called Trinity Wall Street. Yes, I think I saw right. it when I was there last week. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. So Trinity Wall Street, like, there's some good folks there. This is not. So back in uh, when you know um, uh, Manhattan was being discovered, yes. we 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 quote that right, um, and uh, the Queen of England. Gave, uh, gave 500 acres of Manhattan to to the Episcopal Church. Okay. So, right? So, yeah. stolen land, right? Conquered. The Queen of England thinks it's hers. Yeah. She gives it to the Episcopal Church, right? It's now where Wall Street is. This church actually owns the land. Oh my gosh, of Wall Street. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And they're making bank off it. I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. So, uh, and again, they're trying to do good stuff, right? They're they're thinking about like how we disseminate uh, yeah. this wealth. But to just just imagine that just that one story, yeah. right? All that wealth created, yeah, over hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And uh, and a queen deciding, hey, you can have this land. That that's <laughs> fascinating. I, one of the reasons some of you have heard me talk about um, the New England Charter, written by King James in the 1600s. I'm curious. I may research this if that land was a part of that New England Charter. Interesting, because that New England Charter blatantly stated. Mm-hmm. That like there was this disease that went through this plague that went through called the Great Dying, which killed thousands of native communities Uh and peoples. And King George said, God has blessed us with this great plague Uh that Uh has wiped out these villages and Uh these people. Uh And now we can claim this land as our own. And I'm I'm curious to see if that charter included that part of man. That would be interesting to know. So. I mean, I, I make that point to say there's all of this accumulated wealth over time yeah. that has been left out of many of our communities of color yeah. and purposely kept out away from us. And yeah. so wanting people to think about that and and, and understand that. We we're talking about um, uh, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife and how she's changing the philanthropy Bezos. world. Yeah. Right. And. Just giving, just giving money to folks, no and saying and no strings, and saying you know better how to do this where you are than I do. Yeah. Why am I, why am I dictating that? Right. Yeah. That's that's where, that's some of where we want to get to with this. Wow. So. My relatives, thank you for joining me. It's always a good day when I get to spend some time with my good friend Leroy. We got to hang out this afternoon. I got to hear him preach this morning, and uh, he's headed out to to. Um, visit a few more cities on the East Coast before he flies back to his family in Portland. But uh, thank you for Good joining me for, a, for me for a cup of coffee. And let me give the link to people who want to join. Um, I forgot to pull it beforehand, so give me just a second. But I'm going to put a link in here where if you would like to join us on um, Patreon, you can join us over there and we will be doing 
a Q&A on Patreon over Zoom. And so you can join us on that. And uh, if you have a question for Leroy or you want to um, take this conversation a bit further, we're going to start that Patreon Q&A probably in about 10 minutes. I just put the link right there in the chat, and you're welcome to join us there. Um, if you're not a member of my Patreon site, you can subscribe to the Ask Questions tier, and we'll be there in about 10 minutes, around uh, around 8.45. But my relatives, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Leroy. Good to be Thank here. Thank you for joining me. Look forward to seeing how this job goes and the continued work with voices. And... Uh, I hope you walk in beauty, my relatives. And may we all learn how to walk in this beauty together. And hakonet.